The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, a podcast produced by RepublicEN.org. I'm Chelsea Henderson, your host, and whether this is your first listen or you have tuned into each and every episode, I appreciate your patronage. Before we move on to today's segments, I wanted to take a moment to honor the life of an eco-right ally we recently lost. The news came to us after returning from Labor Day weekend that Climate Leadership Council founder and CEO Ted Halstead had tragically died in a hiking accident. Aside from his role in jumpstarting the Baker Schultz Carbon Dividend Plan and the CLC, Ted had also helped launch Americans for Carbon Dividends and worked closely with Young Conservatives for Carbon Dividends, the group headed by Kira O'Brien, whom you may recall we featured as a guest in Episode 8. To his family, to his friends, his colleagues, and anyone he inspired, our hearts go out. Today, we welcome to the podcast South Carolina State Representative Gary Clary, a retired judge who was serving his last term in office. In May of this year, he wrote an op-ed that caught my eye, and I will link it in the show notes um, and publish that on the day of airing. In his op-ed, he said that if conservatives want to shape the future of our great state, we must raise our voices. So we will get to his voice momentarily. But first, our spokesperson team at Republic EN is comprised of more than 30 super volunteers. These are people who donate their time, their energy, their efforts to publish opinion pieces in major media outlets, write letters to the editor, take to social media, organize events, which these days tend to be more virtual than in person. But they really, whatever they do, they're helping amplify our message at Republic EN. So today I'm joined in conversation with Cindy Burbank, who is one of those uh, members of our spokesperson team, and also with Larry Howe, one of our super members, as I like to call him. Actually, they're both great super fans of Republic EN. Larry gets the distinct honor of being the member of our community with the single most actions. And for our listeners who don't know, a member of Republic EN um, is given the opportunity every month to take actions with us. And these actions might include writing a letter to your member of Congress, engaging on social media, sharing a story or a photo. And Larry, he's pretty much done them all. So I'm quite honored to bring you this conversation I had with Cindy and Larry for their second time collaborating on something good. They both wrote an op-ed earlier this year that I will link in the show notes. And I will just note also that they are both active members of the Citizens Climate Lobby Conservative Caucus. So without further ado, my conversation with Cindy Burbank and Larry Howe. I'm here with two of our biggest super fans at Republic EN, Cindy Burbank and Larry Howe. Thank you, Larry and Cindy, so much for joining me today. Sure. Glad to be here. Yes, uh, very glad to be here. Thank you. 
As I said in the intro, Larry, you get the award for having taken more actions than any other Republic EN volunteer. That is your ah. crown. <laughs> okay, no, I didn't know that. I'm yeah. very impressed. <laughs> and I also mentioned Cindy is one of our spokespeople. So just really happy to bring these two together. And, and they co-authored an op-ed that ran earlier this year on Medium, and I will link that in our show notes. But I just learned out right before hitting the record button that they've never met in person, or maybe they did one time at the CCL conference last year, but there are tons of people at that conference, so they don't specifically remember. So I'm happy to bring you together today. That's, that's right. Yes, I really enjoyed uh, working with Cindy virtually uh, and through email on that uh, op-ed. So you both describe yourselves as conservative, and you are both avidly in support of free market solutions to climate change. And I really would love to hear from each of you what influenced that journey for you, and what is it about climate change that you think um, your conservative um, values, that really is underpinned by your conservative values? Well, I'll jump in. I grew up in a very conservative household in northern Vermont and learned all the principles of, you know, being accountable for things and uh, the keeping government roles to a minimum uh, and really embraced that. And so when I actually, after college, was working in government and climate change came across the desk, um, I began searching for more conservative solutions, getting away from the regulations, which we were so inept at. Yes, so my, my journey is, is taken a while, and it, it was probably triggered by a couple of things. Uh, one, when our first uh, granddaughter, uh, first grandchild was born, uh, I remember thinking, wow, I remember being the grandchild, and, and now I have one, so there's time moves pretty fast, and so that was one piece of it. And, and about that same time, uh, a friend of mine uh, and I sat down. We've hadn't watched or never, I still haven't seen uh, uh, Al Gore's uh, Inconvenient Truth, but we watched this uh, kind of a counter to that called the Great uh, Global Warming Swindle or something like that. And uh, I remember thinking, well, all that makes sense. And uh, it, uh, but over time, I found that. Many of those things that we're talking about there were kind of proven to be not true, and uh, or, or they were the things that were kind of uh, off track. And uh, through some other contacts, uh, I ended up uh, getting pointed to the book uh, Merchants of Doubt and the documentary, and uh, that made it a little bit uh, at least more uh, understandable for me. But I, but you know, as the the first grandchild was growing up and and now we have a few more, it, it, it really started hitting home that said, you know, we, we have to figure out a way to quit using, you know, as Bob has said many times, the atmosphere is a, the free trash dump in the sky. Well, I was going to lead into that. I just want to note for our listeners that Merchants of Doubt, the film that Larry just mentioned, Bob is featured in that film, and it goes into how the Merchants of Doubt, so basically those um, heavily lined pocket pocketed industries that are against doing something on climate change have really been able to control the narrative and uh, make us believe, for example, that there's no scientific consensus when there is. And 
some of the other myths, truths um, that they put put forward. So um, I did have on my list to talk to you about, you had teased, Larry, that you had an interesting first encounter with our executive director, Bob Inglis, and I would love for you to share that with our listeners. Sure. Um, I had an opportunity to, uh, most of my career was in the telecom industry, and I had an opportunity to uh, take an early exit, and so we were financially okay, so we took that, and I got very active in volunteering for uh, solar advocacy, rooftop residential solar, and uh, through a couple of organizations I volunteered with, um, I got uh, asked to be on a panel back, I think it was in 2016, at Earth Day Texas, which is now called EarthX, and uh, there were three people on this panel uh, I was there representing as an advocate, a volunteer advocate for rooftop solar. There was another person there who was a developer for utility scale solar. And then there was this very nice gentleman there wanting to talk about a carbon tax. And I wonder I who that thinking, was. <laughs> yes. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, wow, uh, I, you know, I can't see how that would work. You know, I don't want the government getting a whole bunch more taxes and then blowing it on other things. Um, but that, you know, we had a kind of a nice conversation, you know, afterwards, but I, I didn't really start, you know, connecting on that uh, until later. And actually, I saw the Merchants of Doubt movie later, uh, and then that triggered even some more connections and reaching out to Republican again and, and getting connected because, uh, you know, the, the market, uh, market uh, can drive and, and amaze us in so many ways. So we, if we can just put the right, uh, get the right price signals out there, uh, then then things will happen in a very uh, innovative way. The market and the power of the market. And these days, uh, the private sector, big businesses, come in for a huge amount of criticism and dumping on. And some of that is deserved. But you step back and you think of the many things that we benefit from today uh, that we didn't have even 30 years or 50 years ago. And most of that came through entrepreneurship from small businesses to large businesses. They are powerful engines of improving our quality of life. And I believe that they will be much more powerful given the proper price signal in turning the corner on climate change and in introducing um, innovations and um, all kinds of uh, changes in new technology that will save us from these risks that we're facing. You know, for everyone who says that the government shouldn't be in the business of picking winners and losers, which is a refrain that is often directed toward climate change and renewable energies versus fossil fuels, if you really believe that, then you should embrace the free market. You should embrace um, a fee on carbon of some sort to help drive that innovation. And I know that you are both also avid volunteers with the Citizens Climate Lobby, which has its conservative caucus as well. And I'm wondering, Cindy, did you engage with CCL first or, or with us first? I know that we have slightly different approaches, but the underlying goal is the same, but... Um, I, learned about, I learned about CCL first, um, and then through that became aware of Republican, and I'm big fans of both, big contributors to both. 
Um, we know you are. Exactly thank you for this. Yeah. yeah. Well, so if you had, I don't know what kind of conversations you have with the people around you and, or whether you have skeptical people in your networks, but what do you think, you know, what do we have to do? I, I think that this community has continued to grow. You know, it's been a slower growth and, you know, you always want your thing to be the, you know, to catch like wildfire, although we don't really want to support wildfires right now, um, given poor California, but we, you always want your thing to go viral or to be the next big movement. And, and, you know, we've been really chipping away at the, at the block. And and last week's episode, we heard from Ed Maybach at the George Mason university center for climate change communication. And he and his counterpart at Yale do um, regular surveys on American attitudes on climate change. And, you know, 75% of registered voters in America believe that it's real. And, you know, another high percent support the science, that it's human caused. And so, you know, there has been this uptick over time, but how do we get more conservatives engaged and on board either with the CCL mission or our mission at Republic EN or some other adjacent ally. Well, I'm a big fan of Winston Churchill and his famous statement, World War II, never, never, never give up. Um, And I think it's just patiently working it through our networks, through contacts with our congressmen, through our op-eds, through supporting organizations like Republican and your efforts. Yeah, I think, uh, again, like Cindy was saying, uh, persistence is, is really important. And uh, there are many times when I, uh, you know, try to have those conversations, and sometimes I'm successful, sometimes I'm not. I've recently reached out to an old college friend uh, who's worked in the uh, uh, energy industry for a long time, and, you know, come to find out he's very on board with trying to figure out ways to reduce emissions. And he's connected me with some other people that uh, connected me with a group called No Labels. Which, oh, yeah, the uh, No Labels people are really, I like them. I like them. Yeah, and it was interesting because the, I guess they published a book at the toward the end of last year, and one of the things uh, that they talk about is, uh, you know, bipartisan focus on uh, climate solutions, and they, you know, recommend a price on carbon and a dividend. So I, I think uh, persistence is important. And uh, again, what Republican Ian does, you know, focusing on messaging uh, to conservatives is a, is a very important thing. Uh, CCL also tries to do that with the conservative caucus. And uh, the messenger is very important. And so hopefully we can continue that message so that we can move on to uh, bipartisan solutions. You guys have just been such valuable members of of this community, and I just thank you so much for your advocacy and your time and your support, and I'm glad to know you as people and not just names in my inbox, and I thank you for sharing your thoughts with me today. Great. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much. We now continue on the Eco Right Speaks podcast. Visit republicen.org online to sign up and stand with us. And now, a word from our spokesperson, Nick Huey, who was recently published in the Salt Lake Tribune. 
Hey, I'm Nick Huey, a spokesperson for Republic EN. In case you missed it, check out the third episode of the podcast in which I talk about my passion for climate change and bridging the gap between left and right. In the meantime, here's a letter to the editor I recently wrote, which was recently published in the Salt Lake Tribune. Representative John Curtis, you're the climate hero we young Republicans have been looking for. My junior year at Brigham Young University, I gave John a giant purple Y filled with thank you letters from my fellow Republicans and students. Why? Dad pun intended. Because he developed a clean air toolkit for Provo. That was all we young, climate anxious Republicans could hope for. Turns out, we bet too small. As reported in the August 25th story, Representative Curtis explained to his Sutherland Institute audience that the GOP must stop calling climate change a hoax. In his inspiring speech, Curtis exhibited leadership, vision, and practicality that our political leaders from both sides today rarely let us see. He called out the left for radical, unreasonable climate proposals and the right for ignoring the issue entirely. He dared called for reason and practicality in addressing climate change. And ironically, that's considered radical by both sides. Our deep divide has robbed our political leaders of reason and foresight. Curtis is trying to bring back both through practical solutions to climate change. Today, standing in the middle is no man's land. It's political suicide. But there stands John Curtis, a lone voice of reason. I and many of the next generation stand with him. I hope Utah will as well. Without further ado, my conversation with Judge Gary Clary. I'm so honored to be here with Judge Clary. He is coming to us from Columbia, South Carolina today, where he is busy working for the people of South Carolina, and it's just such an honor to have you on our program. Welcome. Well, it's, uh, I'm delighted to be here, Chelsea. I'm a big fan of, of uh, the podcast, and, and I'm honored to be here. So um, one of the things that caught my eye was back in May, you wrote this op-ed, and I wanted to read a quote from it for our listeners, and I'll definitely share a link in our show notes. So the quote that really struck me was, by remaining silent or ignoring climate issues, conservatives lose a big opportunity in building the future of the Palmetto State. We can focus on business and economy and give confidence to voters that we will listen and act. In the end, it's not where climate change comes from, but the way we handle its effects that will be written in South Carolina history. So I saw this op-ed and I shared it with Bob and the rest of the team. And I believe then Bob reached out to you to reconnect. Um, but you guys go a little ways back. Yeah, yeah. You know, Bob, uh, of course, was was... You know, being the congressman uh, on two occasions, and then uh, when he when he ran for the U.S. Senate, uh, uh, you know, our paths have crossed over the years, but uh, we've reconnected on several issues over over the last uh, since the the beginning of this year. And uh, you know, uh, I'm a I'm a huge admirer of Bob because uh, he. You know, he, he kind of blazed the trail for Republicans in, in the environmental uh, conservation area and, and talking about climate change. Because, uh, you know, even though I live at the far end of South Carolina from our coastline, uh, I've been very involved in issues along the coast and off the coast and then in our backyard 
because I, I truly believe that uh, if Republicans and and I, I was a Republican when it wasn't cool, and I've been a an environmentally minded uh, Republican uh, when it wasn't cool. Uh, but but Republicans have to seize this issue if we're going to number one get something done in this state, and if we're going to to lead and and increase uh, increase the the ranks of our party. So, what are some of the impacts that South Carolina is seeing on the climate front? First and foremost, you you go along our coast and and the the flooding issues that we have there. Uh, you know, Charleston uh, is a city that almost everyone uh, either has visited or or would like to visit. It's the one place and, in South Carolina that I've been actually. <laughs> well, it you know it's uh, as a South Carolinian, anytime I can get to Charleston. Uh, I look forward to doing that. And uh, the the issues that they have with the encroachment of, of the floods is, is just uh, it, it increases every year, uh, you know, where it used to be. There was flooding, but now with king tides, uh, it's just uh, an episodic event that that keeps repeating. And uh, then I've also, uh, you know, been involved uh, in the offshore drilling issue. That was something that, you know, when, when you live uh, 200, 250 miles from the coast, most people say, well, you know, that doesn't affect me. But when we look at the environment, when we look at climate change, each and everything that we do, whether you live in the upstate of South Carolina or the Midlands or along the coast, it is impacted. And I think we have to be vigilant and we have to ensure that we're taking the necessary steps that that ensure that for our future generations that we're uh, protecting Mother Earth. Because, you know, I was listening to the podcast uh, that, that Governor Kasich uh, did with you, and uh, he and I share the view that that we are stewards of what God has given us here. And it is not only our responsibility as elected officials, it's our God-given responsibility to take care of this earth that, that he has placed us upon and, and all the beauty and majesty that we have here. So uh, that that's extremely important. And, you know, I live uh, on Lake Hartwell uh, in upstate South Carolina, which is a – there are uh, three lakes. There's Hartwell and Thurmond and Russell. And those are for flood control purposes, but it's a huge recreational area and has added so much to our life and enjoyment up there. But you can see the rapid swings in our climate, you know, when we get into drought situations and they start drawing down that lake because they generate power on down the lake, you know, Back in 2010, 2011, Lake Hartwell was normally at 660 uh, feet above sea level, uh, full pool, and it was down to 636. And so that is a huge drop. And uh, then, you know, we thought it would take years for it to be replenished. But then we had uh, huge rains in the fall and the and the winter and then the spring and it got up to flood stage. So, you know, these types of swings are not something that that we've been accustomed to. And I think that that is an example that points out why we need to be active. Impacts that are in your own backyard, because I do think that that helps convince people when they can see it just sort of sounds abstract, right, to say climate change or global warming. 
Yeah, uh, you know the the interesting thing when when I ran for my seat in in 2014, uh, environmental issues, conservation issues, uh, that that was part of, of what I ran on, and so when when I came to Columbia, I was uh, I was viewed with some skepticism because I was so involved in these issues, and it was uh, at that time a very unrepublican thing to do because it was you know all about driving the economy. You know, we're not doing going to do anything that's going to interfere with our economic development, and and you, you know we we all know the drill on that, and you know. I've tried to point out the fact that we can be eco-friendly, environmentally sound in the practices that we implement, still have a vibrant economy, but protect what we have for not only us, and fu- but future generations. And, you know, I was listening uh, when I was walking the other day to the, the, the snippets uh, from, from Governor Kasich's uh, podcast, and the, the, the key is we can't wait too late. You know, the clock is ticking, and I identify very much with what uh, John Kasich and, and, and Bob, the conversation they had, because the three of us, uh, you know, we, we are we're along in our lives. But uh, we have to be setting the, the example and the tone uh, for uh, the people that are following us. And I think it's really important that uh, you know, I have uh, grandchildren and uh, making them environmentally aware, and they are, is, uh, you know, that's one of my, my responsibilities as a, as a parent to my children and, and a grandparent. And then to spread that word beyond to uh, the, my fellow members of, of the Republican Party. Well, that's um, interesting that you say that because I think we both know, too, you, I believe, cited it in your op-ed that the younger generation of voters, it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican, they pull about the same on climate change and their acceptance of the science and their belief that something needs to be done. And this is something that if the current ruling members of the Republican Party don't take to heart, then they could lose those voters if they want to go with the the team that is coming to the table to act then you know that's where they're going to end up end up going and so there are a lot of great um organizations right now that are i call them kids because i'm older but young adults fresh out of college or a couple years into their career and they just get it yeah, you know, uh, several things in, in listening to, to what you just said uh, come to mind. Number one, I think the, the thing that really galvanized support behind the, the idea of climate change uh, being uh, eco-friendly, uh, taking care of what we have here, was this prospect of offshore drilling. I think that was really a, a big tipping point in South Carolina, and that's when all the opinion polls started turning here about the opposition to it, not just in the, not just along the coast, but throughout the state, because tourism is such an important part of what we do here in South Carolina. And, you know, many years before you worked on, on, uh, in the United States Senate, I worked, uh, uh, on the Hill, uh, for Senator Strom Thurmond. And, uh, you know, at, at that point in time, 
you know, no one was talking about climate. I mean, you know, maybe a few people, but as time has gone by and we see uh, the, the huge impact of everybody, if they're not talking about it, they need to be talking about it because it affects everything that we do. I always enjoy the, the talk in, in D.C. about, you know, carbon and, and everything else. You know, we can't impact we can't impact policy in that regard in South Carolina uh, to, because that needs to be a national policy. We can reinforce it, but what we need to be doing here is taking the steps to ensure that what the policies that we implement uh, are going to, to really complement what they're doing in Washington. Well, I do think the state efforts are really important, especially it feels like we've been in a climate change timeout for about the last three and a half years, for lack of a better word. And, you know, that that time of inaction, I think, has has hurt us. But that's where states have picked up some of the slack, right, and and set the, uh, their own stages with their own policies. And I think what that does is then illustrate, so the work that you're doing in the South Carolina State House, we'll show your, you know, senators and Congress people up here in D.C. that that it's safe, right? My people back home want to do this for on renewable energy, or they're against offshore drilling, or whatever. That gives them the cover then to engage at the federal level. And so, the more states that are taking that kind of lead, I think the better chance we have of making it safe again and cool again to be um, an environmental Republican. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I, I agree with everything about that. And then getting back to the younger generation, I don't think they're as concerned about the party that you're associated with if you're trying to move the needle on issues that are important to them. And these are very important issues to them. And I think that that we're once again missing the boat if we don't uh, try to attract uh, all these bright young minds, you know, some that, that you've talked to already, and I'm sure many that you will talk to in the future, because uh, they're going to they're going to be the ones setting the, the tone for for these initiatives and the debate. And uh, they're going to be listened to. I'm ready for them to take over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, you know, I'm excited every time that that I see or hear someone that that is advocating for these various uh, environmental positions. Uh, you know, you, you, just everything that we talk about, and uh, that is encouraging to me. And I'm excited from the standpoint that we have the passion, because I think to advocate for anything, you have to be passionate about it. But, you know, I'm I'm very passionate about uh, a few issues because I learned early on uh, in being in, in politics that you can't be all things to all people. You have to figure out what your strengths are, what your interests are, and to take that lane and, and run in it. Once upon a time, I actually didn't care about climate change, not in the human sense, but in the Senate staffer sense, it seemed like people, more and more people were starting to work on it. And it wasn't my issue. I worked on water issues and infrastructure. And I thought, oh, those are the climate people over there. I don't need to learn about that. And then fast forward, 
at some point we all kind of get roped into doing it and now it is my passion so it is funny how how things can um trend and that brings me to my um last question which is what are you doing when after you retire i know this was actually a second career you were a judge previous iteration of your professional life um what's next yeah you know my 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 wife uh and I talk about this a lot. Uh, I, I have never been able to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I've, I'm going to continue to work uh, on environmental uh, issues, uh, particularly uh, in the area of climate change and and air and water here in South Carolina. I'm, I'm very proud of the record that I've established here in the General Assembly and being a, a strong advocate for you know, a lot of different issues, and uh, I'm going to be doing that. I'm also going to be looking at uh, prisoner reentry uh, because that's a, a huge issue. And, um, you know, uh, I've chaired a, a couple of subcommittees here, one on judiciary and one on legislative oversight during my time here. And the, there are issues that I want to continue. You know, I have uh, a couple of things that, that I'm considering, but uh, – I know that I'm going to be actively involved in those and, and, and working hard at that. Well, once a public servant, always a public servant, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, there's uh, uh, other than military service, I don't think there's anything uh, more important or uh, a higher way to serve your fellow man than through through public service. And, you know, when I was elected as a circuit judge, and when I say elected, you know, in South Carolina is a little bit different. Uh, our General Assembly uh, actually elects our judges in this state. And so in, I, I really thought that when I became a judge and uh, after I retired uh, from that, and uh, I thought, you know, maybe maybe most of my public service is over. And then uh, we relocated to, to the Clemson area in upstate South Carolina, and we were there about seven years. Opportunity came to, to run for a house seat, and, and I did it. And, uh, you know, I'm really thankful that I did. It's, uh, it is something that putting your name on a ballot. I'd worked in a lot of campaigns before, but I'd never had my name on that ballot. And it's a, a frightening and humbling experience, but it's uh, it's also very rewarding. Uh, I have such a terrific district. Uh, as I tell people, uh, when I see some of my colleagues here, you know, you have uh, some districts that uh, maybe the constituents are more needy than others. Uh, my constituents will get in touch with me when it's uh, very important, something that I can, they think I can help them with that is is on their mind. They're, you know, it's a, a university community primarily uh, and the surrounding area, so uh, a, a high level of, of sophistication, well-educated, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just a, a joy to be able to, to represent an area like that and, and to improve the quality of life there. Well, I hope that in your retirement, we can continue to connect and it would be great to check in with you on the podcast once you've figured out what you want to be when you grow up. And <laughs> I wish you all the best and also um, look forward to that, that field trip that we're going to be taking with you at some point in the future. Absolutely. We'll, 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 we'll get it arranged and uh, look forward to seeing you in person. 
We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. Well, Price, um, it was an abbreviated week, but, um, you know, it, it felt like an intense week, especially to come back to work on Tuesday with the very sad news about our eco-right ally, Ted Halstead. Yeah, the founder of the Climate Leadership Council, uh, a friend of ours on the eco-right, um, Ted, the, the founder of that organization, was uh, hiking, I think, with family in Spain tragic accident um, lost his life that we found out uh, last week and you know our thoughts and prayers clearly go out to him and his family but just such sad news obviously uh, for us on the eco right a guy that was a leader but you know only 52 years old Chelsea it it puts it in perspective um, for sure I mean it just kind of makes you realize that you have to live every day and um, you know with no regrets and I think that, you know, he inspired a lot of people, including our own Kara O'Brien and others in that carbon dividends world. And, you know, he will be missed, but he's also left in his wake a lot of really great emerging leaders who I know will step forward and continue his passion and continue to um, make a difference in the work that we do. Yeah, like uh, like us and like Bob, you know, was not uh, bashful about going out and saying we need to put a price on carbon. Um, he will be sorely missed. And like you said, he's left a legacy of, of young leaders and, you know, the people even like George uh, Schultz, uh, James Baker, others that, that are working in that space and colleagues of his, they're going to, we're going to forge ahead, but certainly he will be missed uh, on the eco right in our our, uh, our prayers are out to the CLC folks at the Climate Leadership Council. And as you mentioned, our, our good friend, Kira O'Brien. And I would also encourage people who want to know more about him to check out his TED Talk from, I believe it was 2011 or 2012. And that is also linked in the post, the um, memorial post that we put on our websites. Also, shout out real quick before we get out of here on this abbreviated episode of the Eco Right Speaks podcast. Jeffrey H., a couple new members to our Republican.org team that are standing with us. Jeffrey H. in North Carolina, Dallas H. in New Jersey, Mickey D. in Illinois, Marilyn G. in Massachusetts, and Becky T. in California. Chels. Great. It's so great to hear those names and to know that those folks are listening and joining and reading and and connecting with us in all the ways. And if you are not a member of our community, you can join anytime. As you said, republican.org, sign up, stand with us. We need you. We need everybody to stand with us. The power is in numbers. It sure is, Price. It sure is. Well, until next week, Chelsea, have a great rest of the week. Awesome job as always. All right. Thanks, Price. Take care. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast, brought to you by the team at republicen.org. Make sure to visit republicen.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.